Today on Let the Bible Speak. Some strange things about Christians next on our broadcast. Greetings and welcome. Pure Christianity has never been the mainstream of society. Sometimes people suggest that America is a Christian nation, and while it may be true that many of the founders acknowledged God's existence and even professed Christianity in particular, and they may have leaned to the Word of God for principles upon which to build the framework of the country, that does not mean that Christianity as it is revealed in the Scriptures was universally accepted and practiced. Throughout history, and that includes American history, the teachings of Christ and His apostles have really run counter to the popular culture. This was the case in the beginning days of the revealed Christian faith and continues to be the case today. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we read these words, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter said that those who live in sin think the peculiar lifestyle of the followers of Christ is strange. Would the world say the same about you and about me? Some seem to think that the way to win the world is to be like it, to make the world comfortable around the church. But the opposite is actually true. It's human nature to conform to our environment, but the Bible teaches that true believers are to be different, so much so that it shocks the non-believing world. The strangeness Peter speaks of does not mean weird or bizarre behavior or being different merely for the sake of being different. It means that our lifestyle is to have been so radically changed by the Christ that the world does not understand it and is surprised by it. That's going to be our theme today. Strange Things About the Church, and I'll return with our study after a song.
The first epistle of Peter, possibly written in Rome, was addressed to Christians scattered throughout parts of the empire. They were enduring some form of suffering because of their faith. Many believe that the fiery trial the saints were encountering was persecution by the emperor Nero. There were various campaigns of persecution that were waged against the church in the first century by the Romans, and it is believed that Christians were living through such a time when Peter wrote to encourage and embolden them. Regardless of what political opposition they may have been encountering, though, they were also dealing with the same kind of persecution that Christians of every age have had to face in one degree or another, and that is the scorn of their unbelieving neighbors. They've been misunderstood and in many cases reviled and hated. Some hated the Christian faith then, just as many do today, because it's a rebuke of their sinful lives. You don't even have to say hardly anything for people to resent Christianity as seen in your life because the life that you may live makes them feel guilty in their sins, makes them uncomfortable. Jesus once said that the people of his kingdom are the salt of the earth, meaning that Christians are a preserving and seasoning or influential force in a perishing world. Now, despite salt's positive qualities, if you pour salt into a wound, it stings and it burns. And that's the reaction when many encounter the Christian influence. I can promise you the world is not going to applaud you for being a Christian, and you're not going to find favor with men by following Jesus. In fact, Paul plainly said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, one of the themes of Peter's first epistle was for believers to not give the world reason to criticize their faith and Christian character. That is, they were to be true to their convictions and they were to stand in contradistinction to the immoral pagan world around them. He said in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, that if we suffer for doing wrong, well, we get what we deserve. But that it is commendable before God when His people are willing to suffer for doing what is right and being true to the faith. Christ thus suffered, and uh, therefore we should be willing to follow His example. He then said in chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed." Now, not only does Peter here really hearken back to the words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount when he spoke of blessing those who persecute us and how that it is a blessed thing to endure such persecution, but Peter also tells us that our lives should be as powerful of a defense of the Christian religion as the words we speak or the oral arguments that we put forth. Our conduct alone should shame those who would hurl insult and accusation at the church and show their accusation to be false. You know, there's little doubt that the shrinking influence of the church in the modern American culture and many other cultures around the world is really not a lack of evidence or a lack of a good argument or defense of the faith. It's not that at all. It's the superficial, hypocritical, and sometimes outright scandalous lives being lived by those who profess the Christian faith. Ironically, it's also the compromise some have made with the world which has not drawn people to Christ but rather diluted the message of Christ toward unbelievers. The Christian's life should be so different from that of the people around them 
that the world looks upon the Christian as a rather strange specimen. In fact, let me just state it as plainly as I can. If the world thinks you're cool for being a Christian, you're not much of a Christian. If the world looks at your life and doesn't see a whole lot of difference between you and them, friend, you're not a good example of the true faith of Christ. You see, Christ makes a radical change in the hearts and lives of those who follow Him. Now, Peter speaks of that in the passage that we began with today, 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's read it again, beginning of verse 1. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walk in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now here Peter affirms that their judgment is sure, and Christians shouldn't be afraid of what the world says and the things that the world or the way that the world reacts to us for living a Christian life. Rather, we should boldly live that life. We should be willing to be different and set apart from the world. Christ endured persecution and suffering, and uh, we as well ought to be willing to follow in his steps and suffer for doing what is right. Now, when Peter wrote, they think it's strange, he used a verb in the original language, which according to Thayer's Greek lexicon means to surprise or astonish by the strangeness and novelty of a thing, or to be shocked. No longer do we do the things we once did, but rather such a change has taken place in the life of the baptized believer, and it should be an outward and an obvious change that the people around us are astonished by it. Now, first of all, Peter points to the moral code by which Christians live. He names sins of the flesh and sins characteristic of the past lives of the average worldly person. And he says, the world is surprised that we as Christians no longer live that way. We no longer fulfill these lusts and desires of the flesh. We no longer live to please the flesh and gratify the flesh. We seek after the things of God. We live after the Spirit. Now, look at verse 3. He mentions lewdness or lasciviousness. That refers to shameless and sexually suggestive conduct, whether it be in word or in action or in dress. The word can refer to suggestive or indecent bodily movements, such as you see in much of the dancing that takes place. We see so much of that on television, on stage, and even in common social and school functions today until we no longer think that much of it. We've become desensitized to something that we used to warn people about and we used to preach against. But Paul says that such behavior characterizes the pagan who lives to gratify the flesh and not the person who has been transformed by Christ and is trying to live a clean and a holy life. We ought to find that kind of behavior repulsive and not be engaging in it and compromising our Christian influence and our morals. Now, of course, the world will make fun of you for that. Some who claim to be Christians will make fun of you for that too. Peter also mentions lusts. And this refers to hidden sins of the heart that can then manifest themselves in our outward behavior. It refers to unclean and dirty thoughts and desires. It would include pornography, an unholy entertainment that excites unlawful desire and tempts one to do immoral things. Christians are to strive to be pure and holy, first inside, in our thoughts, and then on the outside, in our words and our actions, our living. 
David, who knew all too well the destructive effect of lust, later wrote in Psalm 101, verses 3 and 4, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. That ought to be the resolve of every person who's following Jesus. But people think you're strange if you refuse to go sit in a movie theater or watch the trending shows on television that parade nudity and vulgarity and sexual immorality and innuendo before people. And I would ask, does the world think you're strange? He then says drunkenness. The King James says excess of wine, which is often used to justify drinking, just not too much, but that's reading more into the Greek word than is there. And he goes on to list revelries and drinking parties. In other words, Christians aren't to be a part of that environment. Christians aren't to be part of those occasions. We're not to engage in celebrations and parties and social affairs where the liquor is flowing and where people are losing their inhibitions and throwing off restraint where they are not sober as the Bible commands Christians to be sober. Again, though, if you refuse to be part of those kinds of things, especially in a time where our culture is nearly swimming in alcohol and now recreational drugs, well, you're looked at as strange. I'm sure there's someone listening now who's smirking and perhaps laughing, including religious people, because it sounds so extreme to our modern ears and so radical and so outdated to take such a view. Peter expected the church of his day to take that view because he said the outside world would look at them with shock and often contempt for their refusal to have any part of those things. In fact, there are things about the truly converted person that many professing Christians, uh, many professing Christians find shocking. It's disheartening to see so many who claim to represent and even preach the Christian faith really spending their time acting as apologists for the world and its behavior and in effect tearing down the walls of distinction between the church and the world instead of pointing those distinctions out and encouraging saints to be different. But many of us do believe that we're to be different. So much so the world is taken aback and shocked by the holy and pure lives believers strive to live. And then he mentions abominable idolatries. These Christians had come out of the pagan world and the false and often lewd worship that took place in idol temples. And their coming to Christ meant that they left the tables of idols and they came instead to the table of the Lord. Paul referring to that very thing in 1 Corinthians 10. But here Peter says, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now the flood of dissipation is a distasteful word picture that Peter uses here. And Gareth Reese in his commentary likens it to an overflowing sewer. And that sinners were swimming in such filth is what Peter is referring to, that kind of an idea. And because Christians refused to join them and be polluted by the filth of the culture, they were being maligned and spoken evil of. Does the world malign you? Not for your political views. Not for your socioeconomic position. But because of the clean and pure and holy life that you strive to live. Or you live living a compromising life? Do you really indulge in some of the works of the flesh and in some of these things that the Bible tells Christians to stay away from? And do you assimilate more to people in the world than you do people in the faith? Do your friends, co-workers, classmates, neighbors, maybe even family members think you strange because of the things you won't participate in, the things you refuse to do? the environments that you refuse to be a part of, and the clean life that you seek to live. 
And then the world thinks Christians are strange not only because of our moral ethics, but our social ethics, how we deal with others, how we treat others. You know, if we're living a truly living a Christian life, the world will be just as shocked by how we treat other people, even those who do us wrong or seek to do us harm. Now, this is the implication of Peter's admonition to those suffering saints. It may have been tempting to lash out, or it may have been tempting to compromise and deny their faith. Peter says, though, to simply live a humble and sincere life before a hateful and opposing world that was seeking to discredit them and even in some cases harm them. He's telling them, let their defense be a meek and a humble defense of the gospel and the kind of life produced by the gospel. Now, when you live by that kind of ethic, and you live as Jesus taught us to live in the Sermon on the Mount, the world will find that surprising. That runs counter to what the world says and the code by which the world lives. What is the rule by which most people in this world live today? Is it not, you do right by me and I'll do right by you? Is it not, if you do this or the other to me, then I have the right to do the same unto you? Well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, while most people live by the code, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the kingdom seeker is different. When one smites him, he turns the other cheek. When one tries to take his tunic, he gives him his cloak also. When one compels him to go with him one mile, he instead goes two. And that all culminates in what is perhaps the hardest commandment for any of us to obey, recorded in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And they were looked at as some of the worst sinners of, of the day by the Jews of Jesus' time. He says, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, that heavenly ethic is one the world can hardly comprehend. That's the one the world looks at you and says, well, you'll be defeated if you live by that ethic. The world will destroy you if you live by that code. But Jesus said, those who seek the kingdom and those who ultimately will prevail and overcome live by that rule. And it's one of the primary ways that our life and our character should astonish the unbeliever. And then finally, our depth of commitment to Christ should astonish the world. You know, you can get by with claiming to be a Christian today if you just don't mean that too seriously, as long as you don't go overboard. The name Christian has been so diluted in today's culture that it really doesn't mean very much. But I want you to listen to what it meant to Peter in 1 Peter 4 and verse 16. He says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. If one suffers as a Christian. Christianity is not a title that one adopts to describe their religious preferences or even their superficial beliefs. The name Christian implies a deeply devoted follower or disciple, which is what the word actually means. A deeply devoted follower of Jesus Christ even to the point of suffering for His sake. That's not a superficial religion. That's not a suit of clothes you put on Sunday morning and take off the rest of the week. 
There is a devotion and a commitment to Christ that people see as strange, especially in our Laodicean culture of lukewarm nominal pseudo-Christianity. So much so that even being dedicated to the, to the things of God in matters like church attendance often makes the unbeliever and the pseudo-believer alike scratch their heads. For example, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is a sacred day in the life of the Christian. Now, the world doesn't respect that, much less understand that, but God's people should. The world doesn't understand, and many who claim to be Christians don't understand people being so committed to Christ that they will put themselves out or give up important things in life to seek the things of Christ first in their lives. Many churches, for example, have a role. And I can assure you the number of names on that role very often differs, differs greatly from the number on the attendance board on Sunday. Why is that? Well, because many people work or they play or they vacation or they sleep in on Sunday. Hebrews 10 verse 25, though, teaches that Christians are not to forsake the assembling of themselves with other Christians, as some were making a habit of doing, but rather they were to regularly meet to encourage one another and worship the Lord together. And you know, I know of many Christians who have turned down exciting trips because they couldn't assemble with other faithful Christians and worship in the way the Bible teaches. Some people think that's strange, that's extreme. I don't. I've known many Christians who have turned down jobs and even careers because it would prevent them from assembling at the Lord's table on Sunday. I've known many Christians who went hours, hours out of their way on some trip or delayed their plans like Paul did in Acts 20 and verse 7 so that they could meet with a biblical church and break bread on the first day of the week according to the divine pattern. And the world thinks that's strange. Some Christians think that's strange. But so be it. Do the people among whom you live look with astonishment when they see the purity of your life? When they see that you won't behave like they do, go to the same places they go to, dress in the same way they do, talk the way they do, think the way they do? What about when they see your attitude toward those who hate you and would do you wrong? What about in your depth of commitment to the Lord and His truth and His church? You'll not only sacrifice and go without and do without to faithfully serve Him, but even be willing to suffer for Him. You know, if not, your life is not so different from theirs. And perhaps you need to question whether you're really even trying to be a Christian. The world thought Christ was strange. The world thought His disciples were strange. The world thought the early church was strange. And those who follow Jesus today will be seen as strange by an unbelieving and godless world as well. May God give us the courage to be different in this culture.
Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. It's been so good to have you with us today. If you would like a free copy of our lesson, a printed transcript, we'll be glad to send that to you. It's always free. In fact, anything we ever offer you here on the program is free of any cost. You don't owe us a dime. You have no obligation. Just simply get in touch with us and request the copy of the, today's sermon. And that is Strange Things About the Church, and we will get that copy to you as quickly as we can. Also, you can find us online, ltbstv.org, and we're on social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We also have a podcast. Just search for Let the Bible Speak TV on those various platforms, and uh, you can connect with us that way. Thank you for joining me today for the broadcast. If the Lord wills, I'll meet you back here next time for another Bible study, and I hope you'll make your plans to be with me and encourage someone else to watch as well. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.